All right, let's talk about your last patient. Okay. The last patient is a approximately 60-year-old gentleman who I first met in February 2007 when he had a obstructing lesion in the right menstem bronchus. And pathology from a rigid bronch was notable for a large cell carcinoma with features of a basaloid carcinoma. And immunohistochemically, the tumor was positive for pancaridin and CK20 and essentially negative for everything else. And at the time, he had a PET which showed some suggestion of uptake in right paratracheal lymph nodes. And he received neoadjuvant chemotherapy with cisplatin taxotere, to which he had only a slight response. At that time, entertained whether he may be a candidate for pneumonectomy, and he was unenthusiastic about that and instead elected to proceed with chemoradiotherapy, which he did reasonably well with and had a very nice response. And after that, which he followed in September 2007, he was followed clinically, and ultimately he developed a question of a contralateral paratracheal adenopathy, which was PET positive and evaluated with a Chamberlain procedure and biopsy, and in fact was negative for pathologic adenopathy. And then most recently, in December 2008, developed some hemoptysis worsening cough, and though CT was relatively unchanged, repeat bronchoscopy showed a endobronchial recurrence for which he received brachytherapy and symptomatically responded well. And that got him just under a year of palliation until this spring he again developed recurrent cough and hemoptysis, was found to have worsening endobronchial disease without evidence of distant metastases, and has undergone a laser endobronchial ablation and now has consented to be evaluated for pneumonectomy and just had a PET CT and a cardiac PET evaluation performed at Yale and has otherwise doing well. Had a split perfusion scan, which showed 68% perfusion to the left lung, only 32 to the right. Wow, what a case. Yeah. And either you tell me about endobronchial brachytherapy? So endobronchial brachytherapy is something we used to do at the Mass General a lot back in the 80s and 90s. You basically do a bronchoscopy and use an afterloading catheter that you put a source, a radioactive source, into, and that can be pretty effective in treating local endobronchial disease. Since then, a lot of people, you know, you've seen the development of PDT, photodynamic therapy, with porphyrins that many thoracic surgeons have favored now over endobronchial brachytherapy, and you also have seen the use of lasers and other types of local ablation techniques that seem to have gathered more favor than endobronchial brachytherapy. So what I said to Neil was, I actually hadn't seen endobronchial brachytherapy used in about a decade until this morning when you talked about what happened. But I can tell you his breathing is dramatically better since having endobronchial brachytherapy. I thought we were being so cutting edge. <laughs> no, I mean, it was really, really quite good to see that kind of benefit. But this is a really tough problem for him. And you know, the thing you get concerned about is that, that internal mammary lymph node. If that internal mammary lymph node really was cancer, taking out his whole right lung is probably a long run for a short slide. On the other hand, we don't know for sure it was cancer. And to prevent him from going through a surgery that could be potentially curative, I think the approach you've taken here is correct, meaning get a very good PET-CT done, get a recent PET-CT scan done, and probably before resection, doing a good bronch mead to really assess that. Now, one of the interesting factors which came up at ASCO was what's the best way to assess for mediastinal disease? And this was at one of the oral sessions at ASCO. And there was actually a very interesting paper from Europe, from the Netherlands and Belgium. And I 
can't recall the third country. It was either France or Luxembourg. It was France, where they randomized people to either just do a mediastinoscopy or to have endobronchial ultrasound and or endobronchial ultrasound with esophageal ultrasound plus mediastinoscopy. And they found that adding the two endobronchial and esophageal ultrasounds made a real difference in finding N2 and N3 disease, which in this gentleman would probably make you not want to operate on them. So I think a good thorough PET-CT, brain MRI, if those are negative, an aggressive search for lymph nodes, if those are negative, I think it's not crazy to think about surgery in this setting, but it's a tough call. He's declared his biology, that he's got local disease right now. And the question is really what the mediastinum is going to look like at this point. But I think one of the things you pointed out when we were seeing him is his split function PFTs confirmed that very little of his airflow is to the right lung. So he can certainly tolerate a right pneumonectomy. I guess that does bring up a little word of caution in terms of pneumonectomy and specifically right pneumonectomy. Any way to predict any numbers if this man asks, or maybe he did ask Tom, in terms of what the risk would be of pneumonectomy in him? So this is one of those very difficult questions, and with deference to my thoracic surgical colleagues who always are cautious in how they look at these numbers. What I would say is that for a patient who, you know, if you look at the randomized trial data, the randomized trial data suggests that it can be as high as 25%. When you look at the individual institution data, when you look at the places which have large thoracic surgical units, that would include Toronto, St. Louis, Mass General, Yale, the Brigham, Memorial Sloan Kettering, these places have mortalities for right pneumonectomy of under 4%. So it's a difficult call to know what that real number is, because the randomized trials don't lie. And in a way, the randomized trials are less selected than a series will be from UCSF, for example. Anything else either of you want to say about this patient? Just that he's wrestling with this decision himself. I mean, I think this is a classic example of a patient who's very well-informed, who is seeking outstanding opinions, and will have a very tough call to make.